Welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah, and I'm here today with Jen and Ashley. This is Ashley. We'll chat about our Unabridged Book Club's pick of the month, recommend related books, and share our nerdy English teacher love of reading with our Unabridged highlights and with short episodes featuring targeted topics. To follow along with our schedule, visit our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, this is Jen. We are here today with our May book club book, Graham Simpson's The Rosie Project. Um, Before we get started, we just would love to ask you to rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes. That helps us a lot. It helps us move up the ratings and helps um, new listeners find our podcast. So again, if you could rate, review, and subscribe, we would really appreciate it. All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started. So here's a brief summary of The Rosie Project. In this book, Professor Don Tillman has embarked on a mission. His plan is to find a suitable life partner. He decides to create an extensive questionnaire for female candidates to complete and dubs the quest The Wife Project. Along comes Rosie Jarman, who is far from suitable, according to the questionnaire. However, she and Don get swept up in another joint project, the quest to find her biological father. Drama ensues. <laughs> all right. So what did you all think generally of the Rosie Project? I actually read this several years ago on audio, and it I loved it when I, when I listened to it. It just is the narrator is just so dead on with the voice of Don and he his timing timing is impeccable and I just I loved it when I read it then so I actually did a reread and did moving back and forth between the book on my Kindle and also listening to it and I have to say the listening experience is just phenomenal for this book I think he the narrator just adds so much and he's Australian and he does you know he so he has the Australian accent and he's just so believable as Don so I, I just wanted to first say that that I just really loved the listening experience for this one so I would really recommend that and um, I just overall really loved the the book. I love the characters. And I just, we've been reading a lot of really heavy stuff mm-hmm. lately. So I was, I was ready for a light book that I could just kind of zip through. And this was it for me. So I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... This uh, this is not something I would typically. It's just not in a genre that I read a whole lot. But I loved the characterization. I felt mm-hmm. like Dawn's character is so rich, and we see so much into his perspective on the world and the way that he processes everything that's going on around that around him. And how that contrasts with a lot of the other people in the book and how in so many instances, because we see inside what he's thinking, his his perspective is just so understandable Mm -hmm. relative to all these other people who (laughs) seem overly driven by emotions and um, overcharged and that kind of thing. And so I loved that. I found him to be lovable and fascinating and I liked his journey, even though ostensibly an idea like a questionnaire for a suitable partner that very much relies upon, you know, <laughs> simplification of complex humans to these very dry <laughs> and mundane mm-hmm. things is really interesting. But I was looking for, when I first started reading this, I got to the part where he has dinner with Rosie and she changes the clock because he wants the time to align and he has everything perfectly timed. And so she just changes the clock and then he readjusts all the rules because now they're on rosy time. And I texted Sarah cause I knew she'd read it before <laughs> and I quoted that part and just said, I just love this. I just think it was so fun to see his perspective. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Jen? I really enjoyed it as well. I thought, I, I agree with Ashley that Don's character is great, and I can see why it would be great on audio because his voice was one of my favorite things about the book. I think it's so well-developed. It's so believable. It doesn't feel like a caricature. It just feels really like an authentic person's voice. And so to see his 
point of view on the world portrayed so well in the novel, I thought was really moving. And I loved seeing the way his character arc was great because I didn't think he was like leaping ahead at any point. Mm -hmm. He just made these subtle changes that Simpson doesn't draw an, a huge amount of attention to. Mm -hmm. It's just very subtle that you can see, oh, he's reacted differently. And occasionally he'll point it out. But a lot of times it's just like, oh, he would have done something totally different earlier in the book. So I, I really enjoyed it. I will say when I started it, I thought it would be a super fast read. And I think because, especially at the beginning, it's so much trying to portray Dawn's scientific mind. It felt kind of dense and not in a bad way, but just normally when I read romance books, I, I just read them super quickly. And it, it did, you, you kind of have to take time and get almost uh, immerse yourself in the way he approaches the world because it is very different from the way I think that I do. So, but I, yeah, I loved it. I think that's where the audio really helps mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. that it doesn't seem that way in the audio just because the, from the very beginning, you just, you get this, you, you feel this connection yeah. mm -hmm. with the way the narrator portrays him. So I would really recommend I, I would love rereading it. it on audio because it's just... The timing is impeccable. I, I was laugh there are a lot loud. of funny yeah. parts and in there, it anyway. Yeah. I did yes. laugh out loud a lot, but I agree that there's just not a lot of dialogue for this kind of book. I think that mm -hmm. often there's a lot of dialogue between characters, and this one mm -hmm. there's a lot more introspection and there's a lot more internal you know, you are in his thoughts. I did find that quote and just wanted to share. I just <laughs> there were two things I loved there. Um, one was where he's talking about the lobster. And it has become apparent that she <laughs> cares about the well-being of animals. Mm -hmm. And so she wants it to be sustainable <laughs> and for the animal not to suffer. And so she checks into the – he puts it in the freezer. And then she checks in the freezer. And she says, our dinner seems to have stopped moving. Mm -hmm. And then he says, further time is required to be certain of death, I said. Unfortunately, the jacket incident has disrupted the preparation <laughs> schedule. All times need to be calculated. And the other thing I wanted to share was the part that I texted to Sarah <laughs> that says, time has been redefined. Previous rules no longer apply. Alcohol is hereby declared mandatory in the rosy time zone. <laughs> and I just thought that was brilliant because I think it shows how he has a system. He's used to living alone. He has a procedure that he goes through, but he's also able to adapt to the things around him and find new ways to move through. And mm -hmm. speaking to what Jen said about the character arc, I think that's what's so rich about mm -hmm. his character. It's just that it both shows his dependence upon systems and schedules to help him in the world and also his his um, being familiar with being alone mm -hmm. so much mm -hmm. of the time and yet also his adaptability and how yeah. remarkable it is for him to be both hilarious and flexible mm -hmm. right. with situations within parameters. I just think it's reasonable because he has to be convinced that there's a good reason to adapt. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. most of us are like that and just aren't aware. And I think his awareness mm -hmm. of that is one of my favorite parts, that he is so keenly aware of the way he appears to people and sometimes it just doesn't, it, it's not enough to make him want to change because if he appears strange, then he appears strange and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So, so let's talk a little bit about the wife project. What was the catalyst for his desire to find a wife? Why does he want to get married? And what did you all think of his system, his, his survey? <laughs> I, I picture this very elaborate Google form. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for me, I I guess experiencing his character, I totally see why he would think that this was a completely acceptable way to find a partner. And to me, it seemed he was interested in them both finding a mutually beneficial mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that they were not a suitable partner for anyone, but for him. And he was like, why spend the time mm -hmm. if it's not going to end in this match? Right. And, and while I could understand why women would find it offensive, <laughs> I still, I, as someone who Don is, this guy who is trying to be as efficient as possible, mm -hmm. use every minute to the best of his ability to be as efficient as he can be, it totally made sense to me that it that would be something that he would use. Yeah. So... I like that aspect mm -hmm. of the story and the way that it worked its way into him meeting Rosie and all of that. 
Yeah, I thought right away I found, <clears throat> excuse me, his relationship with Daphne, yes. the older woman, really tender. And I just, I loved that. I mm-hmm. thought it was really sweet and showed a side of him that we didn't see otherwise. And then because, you know, because he had this great relationship with her and she made the comment to him about making someone a really good, to be a really good husband for someone, it was as if he had never considered that possibility Mm -hmm. until she said it. And then he realized that maybe there would be good things about Mm -hmm. that and that that it would be possible for him. And so I, I thought that that, had a lot to do with being the impetus for him deciding that that was something he wanted to pursue. And I loved all the stuff about where he got the Daphne flowers for her and that he got them every day. Once she got to the point that she didn't remember that like every day, I mean, I could cry about it now, like Mm -hmm. that every day was her birthday. And I just think that showed early on in the book to the reader, how amazing this person is when it's clear that a lot of the people in society aren't necessarily seeing that in him. And mm-hmm. so I loved that. I thought Simpson did such a nice job of putting that in early on and showing this amazing tenderness that he mm-hmm. had for someone and how much he could love a person and care for them and do things to make them happy. And so I really liked that. And I felt like that also was believable that then he would embark upon this project in the way yeah. that he sees... I mean, just, just in his scientific way, he's going to have this procedure. He's going mm-hmm. to come up with this survey. It will a- answer all the questions, and it will produce a match. And honestly, it's not that far removed. I was thinking right. the same thing. It's I not. It's from not a dating far. site, right? Yes, yeah. right. I mean, I think that algorithms and lots of things go into how dating sites work. And so it's not that far removed. Mm-hmm. It's just more overt. Mm-hmm. And because it's not, you're not signing up for a service, right. but instead receiving a form from, from a single person. person. Yeah. I can see how that could be off-putting. Right. But it's because also. Because there's no backup. Like right. if you're not right for him, there's no <laughs> Other you know, next yeah. person. As he says well, for Rosie many times that she is yeah. unsuitable. But to me, it makes sense to leading off with, are you a smoker? Right. If that's a deal breaker mm-hmm. and then right. you can eliminate how many of her candidates right at the get go. Yeah. I mean, he was, <laughs> I just love the way the author portray, portrays him as just, it's just matter of fact, yes, you know, yeah. this is, this I is did. why I did this thing. This is why I did it. And it may, I mean, as a reader, it makes total sense. Yes. It just is the way in which he goes about it is, can be, like you said, actually off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> I did love the aspirational questions, <laughs> asking if the other person is a drinker. And he is. But then once he finds the match, he won't be anymore. <laughs> Therefore, it's like the ideal person for his ideal self. <laughs> and how he has that terrible experience with the woman. And she turns over the glass and says, not for us. We don't drink. And he's like, oh, I have to modify my survey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was all. I enjoyed all of that very much. So I did want to talk a little bit. So at the near the beginning of the book, very early, Don gives a lecture to a group of students or of, of children with Asperger's. And there's a great one of the students calls out Aspie's rule. And then it's this whole thing where he just talks about labeling things as they are. And there's a woman in the back of the room, and he says, <laughs> sorry, let me find the quote. He says, the fat, the overweight woman in the back. Because he is just, it, it's very observational. He doesn't see that as a negative. He just sees it as the way it is. And that's how he feels about the children with Asperger's, that it's not a negative or a positive. It's just a labeling of a situation. Um, clearly, Don is on the autism spectrum, but I just had a question, and I wasn't sure if it was just lack of careful reading. Does he know, How much does he realize that he is on the spectrum? Because after that lecture, Claudia, um, his friend, Claudia, his friend Jean's wife, says, oh, did any of those characteristics sound familiar to you? And he says, yes, but then it's not at all related to Asperger's. It's this other thing that has nothing to do with that label. So I just wonder, do you all think, how how much awareness does he have that that label applies to him as well? I felt like he had awareness that he, 
acts differently than other people. Mm-hmm. But to me, I didn't think that it seemed it appeared. I didn't. It didn't appear to me that he really thought that that label applied to him mm-hmm. because when he gave the lecture, he seemed removed from mm-hmm. that label. So I think he knew that that he did things differently, but I don't know that he was aware of the label. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Ashley? Yeah, I felt like maybe he doesn't think that that's an appropriate fit in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. that could and be too. that because I, well, I loved. Okay, so Julie was the one who was involved. That was the other adult involved right. in this, and she says <laughs> the way he described her. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was thinking, Just, Jen, when you said that about the woman, and I loved how every single time he would describe the person and their BMI. My, yes. Every time. Every Glad time. I don't have to meet him. I know. Time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I know, and I'm like, I don't know my BMI. I anyway, okay, so um. I, I loved what she says to try to – she keeps interrupting him when she's appalled by. And then she says, so for us non-geniuses, I think Professor Tillman is reminding us that Asperger's is something you're born with. It's nobody's fault. And he goes on to think, I was horrified by the use of the word fault mm-hmm. with its negative connotations, especially as it was being employed by someone in authority. I abandoned my decision not to deviate from genetic issues. The matter had doubtless been brewing in my subconscious and the volume of my voice may have increased as a result. Fault, Asperger's, isn't a fault. It's a variant. It's potentially a major advantage. Asperger's syndrome is, is associated with organization, focus, innovative thinking, and rational detachment. And so, you know, that goes into what Jen mm-hmm. said about the woman in the back and the way he describes her. <laughs> um, but I felt like he has a very good sense of what Asperger's is like mm-hmm. from his research, and he also understands acutely Mm -hmm. his own differences in Mm -hmm. handling social situations versus his Mm -hmm. his peers Mm -hmm. and has found and he talks about how he's found ways to navigate that by being the class clown by being funny on purpose by doing things to be quirky because those things are inherent within him but also by exacerbating them he controls them Mm -hmm. right and so I feel like he talks a lot about all of that but definitely when he speaks to the group even though he makes wonderful points Mm -hmm. about Asperger's and the fact that there's you know there's nothing wrong it's nothing negative mm-hmm. and this underlying assumption that there could be was really insulting yeah. to him he still doesn't seem to outright acknowledge it right right and I don't think yeah I don't think it's a denial I think it's right. just a lack of recognition so there are several points in the book that he talks about people being unable to recognize things about themselves. So fairly early on, he says, humans often fail to see what is close to them and obvious to others. And then later, Gene frequently states that psychologists are incompetent at understanding themselves. Mm. So that came up. I marked multiple Mm -hmm. quotations where he's talking about the inability of people not even to be honest with themselves always, but just to be able to recognize things about themselves that are true. And even though I do think he was exceptional at it for a lot of the time, that was something I kept coming back to. I thought that was, yeah, that was just an interesting element of the book that it is in a way this in-depth psychological study of this character because Mm -hmm. it is so Mm -hmm. revealing of him and that that is a consistent, there was never a big reveal. There was never a big epiphany Mm -hmm which I kept kind of expecting. And I think I'm glad that it wasn't in there. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so let's talk about two of Don's friends. At the beginning, he says that they are his only friends, Jean and Claudia. So Jean is also a professor where Don works, and Claudia is Jean's wife. And they have an open marriage, and Don is led to understand that they are both in total agreement that it is an open marriage and that Jean has permission to seek a goal of sleeping with women from as many countries as possible. But then as, as we as readers start to learn more about Claudia, it becomes clear that she is not as on board with that agreement as Dawn thinks or was led to believe. So, Nor is she acting on it. No. Right. It is very one-sided. Yes. Yeah, uh, exa- it, and the at openness times, is very one-sided. At times, I thought that she didn't even know that they were in an open marriage. I that that was too. something that Gene told Don to explain why he was having sexual relationships with all these various women. Because, because often she, she didn't does know. lie to her. Right. He well, lies, lies to her all the time. Right. There was one point that Gene says, maybe don't mention that in front of Claudia. And right. I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't. But then later, it seems like... Maybe they had agreed at one point, uh-huh. but then she just didn't 
really still agree. Or she well, doesn't want to know the details is kind of how it seemed, mm-hmm. is that Gene lies to her because he's not going to say, like, almost as if to protect her feelings. Right. But that's also absurd because mm-hmm. it's very public that he's having all of these relations. Because, he, because it doesn't appear that he tries to hide no. it. Right. So she knows he's a womanizer, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that they weren't in some agreement where they were both going to have an open relationships. I mean, I guess he, it just didn't seem yeah. like she was on board. Yeah. At all. It was almost like, it seemed as if she initially said she would tolerate it mm-hmm. or something. Right. Because when it all shakes out, it seems to, we, we, I don't know. I had the impression that at some point they had agreed to it, but mm-hmm. it, go, but Dawn finally comes to understand that people agree to things with the people they love that they don't necessarily right. That they cannot abide. Mm-hmm. And, and that she, he realizes, I mean, that's when he realizes that they're potentially on the cusp of disaster mm-hmm. and uh, that she can't continue to endure it. But. So I do think one of the ways that Don grows, so Jean has very much served as an advisor to Don. And it is clear that Don trusts him and trusts his advice in many ways. And then there's this moment where you see a shift. Ashley, I know we had talked. Do you want to? Yeah, I mean, I just thought, so for one thing, I think that Claudia is an awesome character in this in a lot of ways because she clearly loves Don Mm -hmm. and also understands him. Mm -hmm. And so she does all of these things to help. And Jean does too. I mean, they both are very, are very, (laughs) Jean is is a jerk. But he, as far as Don, you can read what I put in his his character description. <laughs> <Different> word. <laughs> we may have to bleep things out. Here. But as far as Don's concerned, both of them love him. They care about him. Mm-hmm. They want things to work out with Rosie, and they do what they can to make that happen, even though their perspectives are very different. Mm-hmm. So she has him watch all those movies. Which I just, everything about that I thought was great, and also funny. <laughs> And I thought, I probably could watch some of those and also take notes. Because this is not my strength either. So I really loved how as he watched the the movies, I mean, he's brilliant. So mm-hmm. he sees the trends. He, he realizes the patterns of human behavior that become apparent throughout the romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Or some of them weren't comedies. But throughout the romances, he sees the patterns. And that's when he realizes that Jean has got to get it together mm-hmm. or Claudia is going to leave him and his family structure, including his two children, will fall apart. And so he confronts him. And so, I mean, I loved that. So he takes him on in his office and he, and, um, he says, and he, he, pull, he talks about the, the map, which is, again, like Sarah Ugh. said, he's not hiding. I mean, he's flaunting mm-hmm. it. And it's, it's, Insulting not just to Claudia, but more generally. Yes. It's insulting toward women. It's demeaning. And it it seems like it's inconsistent with other parts of his character. Right. But it is this conquest that yes. he is on. And so he goes over the map and he points at it. And he says, he says, then I stabbed it with my finger to create an atmosphere of threat. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, I said. You think people see you as a Casanova. You know what? I don't care what other people think of you. But if you want to, I don't care what other people think of you. But if you want to know, they think you're a jerk. And they're right, Jean. You're 56 years old with a wife and two kids. Though for how much longer, I don't know. Time you grew up. I'm telling you that as a friend. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, I watched Jean's face. I was getting better at reading emotions, <laughs> but this was a complex one. Shattered, I think. I was relieved. The basic male-male tough advice protocol had been effective. <laughs> it had not been necessary to slug him. <laughs> so I loved that whole scene because I felt like he had had such a revelation about these two people he cared very deeply about. Mm-hmm. And, and he realized, just like they both had interceded for him and so many times to help him, he had an opportunity to intercede and help save their relationship. Mm-hmm. But he was going to do whatever it took. And mm-hmm. if that meant <laughs> <laughs> punching Gene in the face, then that was what was going to happen. And just so like the I, jacket incident. Just, <laughs> just like the right. jacket incident. So, you know, I thought that that was really great. I, I just loved how... The martial arts fit into all of mm-hmm. all of his interactions with people and his ability to do what it took to stand mm-hmm. up for what he knew was right. Yeah. Well, and I just loved his uh, his 
yearning for knowledge when he is trying to do something yes. or anything or that is new, he's going to know everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And the part that I died laughing at is when he is trying out the sexual positions with the skeleton <laughs> yes. and the dean walks yes. in. And she, just that whole scene, I was crying. I was laughing so hard because you can just picture him in his, you know, straightforward way. Uh-huh. And he's like, I'm, I'm glad I didn't take my clothes off. It's just so funny. But all the things, the cocktailing, like learning all the cocktails and then being this big success. I just loved all those parts where he had experienced all this joy with Rosie Mm -hmm. and created, you know, the success where he, I felt like from the beginning, he only felt successful in his job. Mm -hmm. He knew he was a great geneticist and uh, he, I really liked how in, the moments with Rosie, he was able to have this fun, but also be this great success and everybody cheering him on. I love that so much. And I loved how he came to realize that his, many of his happiest moments had been with her Mm -hmm. and that that was one of the things that led him to realize how strongly he felt about her. And I loved his analysis of all that as he went, because I think that is what love is like and what falling in love is like that you're just so swept up in what is happening that you're doing all these irrational things and so he starts to see this pattern of totally (laughs) irrational behavior and he can't attribute it to to anything other than that he wants to spend more time with her and Mm so I thought all of that was great because he could analyze all those things but then that doesn't mean that just because he could figure that out that he could make everything Mm -hmm. come together in exactly the way he wanted because that just figuring it out is not enough (laughs) yes yeah, I really loved Ro- Rosie. I thought she, the way she reacted to him and the way she just embraced who he was and, like, from the beginning, just resetting the clock that, okay, he has a difficulty with the fact that we're not on schedule, so we'll change the time to make the schedule work for him. And yet she's also constantly pushing him, not too much, but just mm-hmm. in little ways to make him experience new things, to get him to have fun, I, I, yeah, from the beginning, I thought she, she definitely wants something out of their relationship. There's the whole father project that we should talk about next. But it, it was also a lot about him. And I think it, with both of them, you see that they make each other more giving. The way he was with Daphne had started that process. And when she says you would make someone a good husband, I, I think some with some of the other women, it's about what they can give him. Mm-hmm. But with Rosie, it's about what they can do for each other. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really beautiful that each of them finds a way to make the other better. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. Yeah, I thought even, I mean, the, the jacket incident. Oh, my gosh. At the very beginning was yeah. just amazing because <laughs> a different woman would have reacted mm-hmm. a very different yeah. way. And instead, <laughs> she found it very satisfying. Right. And could have could easily imagine how that situation had gotten to where it did mm-hmm. and was totally vindicated yeah. by by his approach instead of being appalled mm-hmm. so or embarrassed mm-hmm. and so i thought that yeah from that moment on and then the clock and like all of those things how she was able to just roll with to roll with it yeah. and to enjoy i mean it does show you know this is a good um, pairing of where opposites attract Mm -hmm. and the benefits of that. So I think, well, yeah, we could, we could Mm -hmm. analyze that in relationships that for sure here, the things that are different about them, do you really compliment? When she also just called him on his, Mm -hmm. his bias. I mean, when he would constantly say for a barmaid after everything, I mean, she was, she just laid it on the line and I, I appreciated that too, that she didn't just, Go go along with what he said. She was just like an equal partner with right. him. Yeah. But then that made me love her and him both together. Mm-hmm. Because and he didn't she, realize he was being offensive. Right. Right. And though it was satisfying when she did roll out her numbers, like her scores and mm-hmm. stuff, she didn't do that immediately because right. her point was, you should respect me no matter what. My, right. Yes. And so I thought that yeah. was really powerful that she wasn't. She didn't try to prove herself to be an equal. She was saying, I'm an equal because I'm a human. Mm-hmm. And that you need to respect that. And because he's logical, eventually he got that point. It took him a while. Yeah. Um, but eventually 
He did get that point. I wanted to be. I wanted to say, please stop saying barmaid. Yes, just, <laughs> at least just say bartender. It is such oh, a horrible. It's it the yeah. term, and yeah. I think that was the purpose. Yeah, and exactly. Totally. That I was right with you, Jen, about that. She both called him out, but also withheld information that would have immediately right. ended the discussion mm-hmm. because she didn't want to use what he evaluated as being equal she wanted to prove that the evaluation itself was based on false premises yes it was yeah she's really smart yes and not just in the way that he respects from the beginning but just Mm -hmm. in her understanding of people and in again like the new york trip i think the way that she pushes him just a little further she lets him hold on to the things that she (laughs) knows really matter but she also does want to push him to try new things and to not just go to the same museum that he has visited every <laughs> he, time he's been there. He starts to recite the itinerary, and it, it's day one. The Natural Museum, day two, day three. She's like, no. Yeah. So the Father Project is an interesting part of the novel because so Rosie's mom thought that Phil, who the father who raised Rosie up till that point, um, was not her real father because of information, misinformation Jean had taught the medical students. And so I thought Rosie's drive to find out who her real father was reminded me, Sarah, of what you said earlier about Don needing to do all the research and know all the things. And while I don't think Rosie was always like that, in this case, it was so important to her and to understanding her own identity for her to know who her father was. I, I thought that was interesting in what it said about her and her understanding of herself and the way that her the death of her mother really influenced that understanding. I, I don't know. What did you all think of the father project and, and that whole part of Rosie's need to know? For me, that is the part that was least compelling for me. And also took what, when they were talking about the father project stuff, it kind of would take me out of the book just a little mm. bit because I – didn't really I didn't really care and care who the father mm-hmm. was I guess because there were just so many different people they were testing and it all didn't seem connected by anything except the need to propel the plot forward right yeah. so that I would have preferred the book just to be about them and them you know navigating a relationship being so different and all of that rather than this quest for the father project because I felt like you could kind of take that out and mm-hmm. still have some of the same conflicts and still have a a complete story. So that part was my least favorite. Yeah, I understood her need to know. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was believable. But I had trouble. And I, I, but I felt like, like like Sarah said, it did feel like a plot, a vehicle Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. the plot because they had to have a way to throw them together. Yes, it was that. And it was also how far he would go, that he Mm -hmm. compromised his ethics. He came up with fake paperwork <laughs> he did i mean 345 the, oh <laughs> the extent to which he would take the situation mm-hmm. showed his irrationality and his desperation to take to make her happy mm-hmm. and to keep going yeah with her and i felt like that was the purpose mm-hmm. yeah but i did get a little lost in some of the details and I, I did appreciate the quest and the going to New York mm-hmm. and the trying to get the DNA samples from all the people and the, the cocktails. I mean, I, yeah. I loved all that. Yeah. I loved the things that they had to do to get the samples. I mean, again, there was that really sweet part with the older woman in the uh, nursing yeah. home where he remembered his relationship with Daphne. Mm-hmm. And so he did all these really tender things. For her, even though he didn't know her because she thought she recognized him. I mean, that, I thought that was really sweet. And then simultaneously, he realized that he had gotten a DNA sample. Mm-hmm. So I think there were things like that that I appreciated because I think it showed his deepening relationships with other people yeah. and how those relationships were opening up his world. Mm-hmm. I liked all of that. But I agree that some of the detail, I mean, that part was was also, yeah, was the least engaging for yeah it's a little vague it there, was. Were, there were parts of it. it we had a we had to pause because we were trying to work out what we knew because and in it's some ways i got down. lost between Jean. i got a little lost with what Jean told rosie mm-hmm. versus what Jean told rosie's mom because that part overlaps some too right and yeah. i have to say when i did the reread in my mind Jean was the dad I, oh. like i just didn't remember that 
I remember the the quest for the father, but I did not remember the but outcome. Bill really I, was yes. the father because yeah. again, I think and in I didn't some ways really, that wasn't. It really wasn't the point. It wasn't right. the point. Yeah, and and I still yeah I I but I did I definitely think it was an effective plot device to get us yes. from from the beginning yes. to the end. But I think that's all it was as a plot device. Yeah, you know, it just didn't feel like it added a huge amount of substance. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did love how her relationship with Phil was broken. Yeah. And I think that she was using the idea that he was not her real father as a way to handle the brokenness Mm -hmm. instead of trying to heal the hurt of her mom dying Mm -hmm. and the pain. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, all the, all that shook out about the accident and how he, you know, all, all the repercussions of that, like Mm -hmm. his culpability, his guilt, um, how that played out. And I loved, again, I I liked all the, all the physical (laughs) parts of the book. I'm sure my friends here are shocked, (laughs) but I loved how he how Don took on Phil Uh and pummeled him. I mean, (laughs) broke his nose (laughs) and then found out in the tussle that he told her at the funeral that he would take her to Disneyland and how, again, that moment of human connection Mm -hmm. that he remembered what it was like at his sister's funeral and he knew exactly how lost people feel in that moment and it was just so amazing to Mm -hmm. see him connect to this person that he didn't know otherwise because I think we see that a lot with Rosie I think we see it with Mm -hmm. Jean and Claudia but again I think a lot of the book is him his world widening because of Rosie right and Mm -hmm. so then he's able to empathize with this person that he had really had bad feelings toward right because he can understand that moment. Mm-hmm. And I thought all of that was really lovely. And I loved that they went to Disneyland. I mean, <laughs> I think, like all of that was just really sweet. Yeah. All right. So we need to probably wrap up soon. I did want to talk about, uh, so Rosie and Don have a conversation and Don feels as if Rosie has given him this agenda of changes he needs to make to make himself suitable for her. And so he undergoes it with all the earnestness that he does everything. (laughs) And it's so sweet just that he has this like, I don't know, path to improved on. Mm -hmm. And he, yeah, it's, it's really one of the more precious moments I think or scenes in the book. And then when they meet again, she's very disappointed in the way that he is. And she, and Jean says, this was a moment. So Jean drove me crazy through most of the book. Mm -hmm. But then when Rosie is basically telling Don that what he has done is not enough to make them happy, it says, Jean says, no, it wasn't. Who asked him to change? Who said that he'd be perfect for her if he was different? And Jean says, do you have any idea what he did for you? Take a look in his office sometime. And then Don's thinking, he was presumably referring to my schedule and the large number of Rosie Project activities. And then Claudia turns and says, I think I coached the wrong person. That whole mm-hmm. scene, mm-hmm. I just thought, because there are times I questioned whether Jean was a good friend for Dawn, but then you see that when Jean and Claudia know it matters to Dawn, they really stand up for him and they help Rosie to see that Dawn was just trying to do what she had asked him to do and that she was the one who said he needed to be different. I, I just, that was one of my favorite parts of the book. Mm-hmm. What did you all think of that? That whole... Yeah, that's a long, that's not even a scene. That's like chapters. But anyway, what did you think of that? I loved it too. I have to just reiterate what you said. I mean, it was, it it made me like Gene more because mm-hmm. I had very bad mm-hmm. feelings yes. for him most of the book. I really loved the way that Claudia would be his psychiatrist, even but like off the books, mm-hmm. you know, and that Don said that they had to meet in a coffee shop and <laughs> that it was that he didn't get client doctor privilege. Right. And I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> but in terms of what of your question, Jen, I really I thought that was a beautiful part of the book, too. Okay. And it made me realize that Gene really did love Don mm-hmm. and have his best interest at heart. Most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I always felt that Claudia did. Uh-huh. She was always trying to help yeah. him, like giving him the gifts when he went to New York because then he said <laughs> that took up too much space. Uh-huh. I thought of Ashley. <laughs> the next time Ashley goes on a, one of her trips, I'm going to give her a giant gift. A giant wrap package. <laughs> yeah, and I loved so how I think that, you know, I mean, Jean gives him this expeditions book and mm-hmm. she gives him the shirt and pants. Yes. And I think the shirt and the jeans. And I think... That just shows how both of them have his best interests in mind based on their own perspectives. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that, I mean, that was part of what I loved about the book. But yeah, going back to what you were saying, Jen, I think that it was amazing to see someone who's so willing to change Mm -hmm. for another person because I think we don't see that Mm -hmm. a whole lot in real life. But I think that given the methodical way that he proceeded throughout the book it is believable Mm -hmm. that he would make a list and work to make those changes to make the list happen and so I really loved that and I loved in that there were just the moments of surprise and joy like with the oysters where he went to get the (laughs) lobster and or he went on Tuesday therefore the vendor grabbed the lobster for him and he said I'll try something different and then he couldn't get them open and then he discovered the microwave and he managed to get them open and I thought that was he he just was able to find that there was joy for him Mm -hmm. in some of these changes and that it was deepening his life experience and his his own satisfaction and that was really great. We talked earlier, um, Ashley mentioned the listing at the end of the book, and it hadn't struck me before. Sarah, I haven't thrown this one at you. It reminded me a little bit of the One in a Million Boy mm-hmm. with the listing and that different voice of the character. It, that's an earlier book that we did pretty early on. Mm-hmm. So, But that, that was another book that I think the relationships in it were the strength and some of the, and that one alternated perspectives, but the characters' voices were really strong in that mm-hmm. one as well. So let's move on to our pairings. What book would you recommend to pair with The Rosie Project? I ha- I have one that I think fits in some ways, but it, it's young adult, which there's nothing wrong with, but this is definitely an adult book, just in the way that it reads and things like that, and not that teens couldn't read it, mm-hmm. but I think it is written for adults and about adult experience. So the one I'm going to talk about is Teenagers, but I do think it has some similarities, and it's the OCD Love Story by Corianne Haydew. This one is about two people who are working through obsessive-compulsive disorder, and they're in... So they're in a therapy program where they have to, it's just really hard. They have to very directly confront the things that they are most concerned about or obsessed over. And it it's exposure mm-hmm. and it is painful. And so both of them have these struggles. And in some ways that is comforting. And in other ways, that's really challenging Mm -hmm. that they have similar struggles. So they're having trouble working through that. And I also think there's a there's just a lot like Bea is a really rich character, but she is working through part of her um, OCD and it's hard for her and she's really sucked into this relationship of this other couple and so all of that is evolving throughout the course of the book and plays into her relationship with this person that she cares about and has tenderness toward but she can't let go of -hmm. some of these other aspects and because of that and because she's trying to work on that for herself but she's also trying to have this meaningful relationship there's just a lot going on and so I felt like it was a great read for showing that living with something like OCD is something that you learn to live with Mm -hmm. and not that you get over or that you, um, it's not something that's like, you know, a a problem to solve, but is instead something that you learn to live with, just like we learn to live with lots of things in ourselves and in our lives. And so I really loved that part. And also think that it shows some similar aspects of relationships and Mm -hmm. how complicated it is to have relationships with the people you love. 
So again, that was the OCD love story. It's OCD love story, and it's Corey and Haydu. My pick is going to be the Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. And I actually talked about this book in our steamy episode, our steamy books episode, uh, episode 60. I remember that, Sarah. <laughs> episode 60. So you can hear me talk about that also on that episode. We got into the steam factor. <laughs> it was with that steam. one. It's steamy. I'm just going to say it a lot of times because it is. <laughs> I feel like we should have this course. Steamy, 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 steamy. <laughs> we need a soundtrack. Yes, anyway, we definitely yeah. do. So this this book is about Stella Lane, and she is a mathematician. She she thinks she's very into mathematical equations and solving things with algorithms, things that I am not great at. But she um, has... But she has issues with relationships. She hasn't had any really close relationships with men. And so she hires a male escort named Michael, hence the steaminess, to <laughs> help her learn how to have sex and then also how to be in a relationship. And it is, I mean, Stella is on the autism spectrum. Michael is very different from her, so it's, I feel like it has that opposites attract kind of vibe to it. It has some humor in it. It's a pretty light read, mm-hmm. and so I think all those make it a natural, if on the nose, pairing for the Rosie Project. And I really, I like this book. I think I like the Rosie Project more, but it could be because I'm uncomfortable with all the steam. So just... <laughs> As, I don't know. As discussed <laughs> in our previous episode. As discussed. But I don't know, Jen, do, which one did you like better? You've read both. I, I just think they're so different. They are very different. It depends on what you want. Mm-hmm. If you want a lot of sex, how <laughs> we go with the kiss question. But, yeah, like I was saying earlier, I do when think. When we say steam, we mean yes, a lot of sex. Sorry. Yeah. In the Getting book. past the euphemism. Well, and also the description. It's <laughs> yeah. not just talking. It's quite explicit. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty explicit. So, yeah. And I, yeah. So, I think it really depends on. On your genre preferences. I should say that I also prefer the Rosie Project to my to my pairing, even though I did like it a lot. So mine, uh, my pairing is Mark Haddon's The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. I will say it has been a while since I've read this. I actually read this. As I had a student book club, and they chose to read this, and they really enjoyed it. So I, it is not a young adult novel, but the character who narrates it is a young adult. And again, this is pretty on the nose, but the voice is what connects these for me. So the main character in The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime is Christopher John Francis Boone. He is a teenager and he is on the autism spectrum. And his is more, I would say, severe than Don's. And he... He is an unreliable narrator who was trying to figure out the mystery of who killed his neighbor's dog. And so everything that you see is filtered through his understanding of this mystery, which he views very much as a Sherlock Holmesian type of mystery. And he decides that he is going to investigate to uncover it. And as you read, there's all of this, there's a lot that's hidden that as a reader, you gradually come to understand through the lens of an adult but because that is not his lens, he just sees it in a very different way. And so that book, I think, is masterfully written because of the way the true, the truth of the situation is revealed. It, it's sort of unveiled as the main character narrates. So that's, a, yeah, that's, that's all I will say because of spoilers. But that one is a great read. It's a fast read, but I would it's not quite as light as The Rosie Project. I would say that there are parts that are quite funny, but it's not that is not its emphasis in the way that I think The Rosie Project is. All right, so how about classroom connections? How do you think The Rosie Project fits or does not fit in the classroom? Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> For once, Sarah yeah. and I were both going to talk at the same time. <laughs> Highly unusual. Uh, I was just thinking that that section about – I loved the part where he gave the lecture in the very beginning, and I would definitely use that in class. I think that that 
is a great way to have a conversation about Asperger's Mm -hmm. and can be enlightening as it is for some of the people some of the adults in the room Mm -hmm. who have their own biases that they're bringing when they talk about it I just love his perspective there and so I think that that would be a great example of a segment that could be a selection that could be used in the class and I think similarly, it could be that sections could be taken out of it that stand alone, that are great examples of humor. Mm-hmm. They're great examples of characterization, character development, and could be analyzed in that way. I would do it. I mean, I'd certainly have it on my shelf in mm-hmm. the high school classroom. I would, I could see giving it as a lit circle choice. I wouldn't teach it whole class because of what I said before. I mean, I think that it's fine for kids to read it. And I think some teens would really identify with it, but it is written about adult life Mm -hmm. and it is more geared toward people who are who have adult experiences I I I think that I would would not use it in the middle school classroom but I can definitely see using segments of the audiobook to teach voice Mm -hmm. and how to bring a character to life and and just segments of the book I I can see using but as overall I wouldn't have it in literature circles it's just a little too too much adult, too many adult themes yeah. that mm-hmm. I don't know that middle middle schoolers would really be interested. Right. Uh, yeah, I think same as Ashley. I would have it on my shelf for sure. I think I had some students who would really enjoy it, but I don't think it would be for everyone. I did want to mention a book that I read that was in my high school's library. Daniel Tammet's Born on a Blue Day: Inside the Extraordinary Mind of an Autistic Savant, and that is a memoir. Daniel Tammet is autistic and he writes his his own story and he was diagnosed quite late so he writes a lot about that process of of being diagnosed he has synesthesia as well so that's where the title comes from born on a blue day Mm -hmm. it's a condition where people associate one of the senses with something unusual so he sees numbers with colors and textures and that enabled him to memorize the digits of pi to i'm looking at the notes in goodreads the 22,514th digit because he could use the color and the texture to help him remember that pattern. So it's a really amazing story. The part that I think connects most strongly with the Rosie Project, beyond just the voice, is the fact that he does talk about finding love. He realizes that he is gay, and he has to work through how how to build a relationship when it is quite hard for him to relate to some of the people around him. So I think that would be a great one for a high school classroom. Again, I don't know that it would be for everyone, but I think it would be a great option for a memoir unit for Lit Circles or if you wanted to look at people who approach the world differently. So that's Daniel Tammet's Born on a Blue Day, and I think that would be a great read for high school students. All right, so that wraps up our May book club discussion of Graham Simpson's The Rosie Project. We hope that you will join us online throughout the month of May for some good discussion of the book. And we will be reading Just Mercy as our June book club book. And that'll be our last one of the season. So we hope you read along with us for that as well. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We would love to hear them. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, on Instagram and Twitter at UnabridgedPod, or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com, or on our Patreon page. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light. Many thanks to Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer, and Tim Rieger, our videographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.